Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How did get 30, 30, get 30, bet get 20, 20, 20, bet get 20, 20, bet get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. A lot can happen in the next three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans are available for these changing times. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer budget-friendly, flexible coverage for people who are in between jobs or missed open enrollment. The plans last nearly three years in some states, with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. So for whatever tomorrow brings, United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans may be for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Hello everyone and welcome to History and Technicolor uh, with myself, David Crowther, and with my partner in crime, Wolf O'Neill. Hello, Wolf. Um, hello, David. So, the you... Excuse me? That's right, I just had a hello again. <laughs> How many times do you want to say hello? Hmm. Um, so... We should have a duel over We this. are gathered together today to discuss a 70s film, The Duelists. Uh, directed by Ridley Scott. Wolf, you might like to ask me why I'm proposing this movie. Okay, David. Um, why did you select this film uh, for us today? Especially because I kind of can gauge what your response to it was. So I want to know what the thought process behind it was. You want you do, you do yeah, yes, you can yes. guess it or you can't. I, well, I can. Okay, would you want to write that in an envelope uh, right now, and then you know you can reveal it and see if you were right or not. Um, you don't really have to write in an envelope. In an imaginary envelope, I'll, I've tucked in it away. In an imaginary envelope, yes, I, I, I trust you, obviously. So, here is the thinking. We've done a few Skidley Rock films, so it seems sensible to go back to the source, the original, one of his earliest feature film. That's one. Um, and I have discovered, Wolf, a love for the 70s, a decade mm. which at the time... To be brutal seemed pretty miserable, apart from chopper bikes, but uh, and not flared jeans. Um, but with the addition of a bit of sepia, a few decades mm-hmm. le- overlaid over it, the decade seems a little bit better for me. So I thought we needed a seventies movie. That was my thinking. How well did that accord with your thinking of my thinking? Yeah, that makes sense. I think we've we've been talking about Ridley Scott a lot. It's one of the Ridley or how do you say it? Skidley Rock films that we haven't seen. I've never seen it. Um no. and you love the seventies. You won't stop talking about it. Is that right? Well, at least what do you mean I won't stop talking <clears throat> about the seventies. You're always saying, When can we do a seventies movie? When can we do a seventies movie? Is that right? If you were to select a seventies movie to do what would that be, irrespective of whether it's history or not? 
Um, I would have. S- I've thrown that question at you, haven't I? I would have. Well, look. No, no. I would have said without a doubt, The Godfather. Uh huh. But yes. after after I after me and Millie watched all three one night after the other during lockdown, um, I, maybe my feelings on it have changed slightly. I don't know. Really? I mean, the third one sucks. Um, it was quite funny though. Was it? I don't like that. So good, it's so bad, it's good thing. I just don't get that. If it's so bad, it's just, you know, bad. Anyway, so not The Godfather anymore. I, d- I don't know. Maybe it's still the first one I would think of. But um, anything that's that really encapsulates the time period and, like, the stylistic aspect of the filmmaking. Um, so maybe The Wicker Man, that might be a good one. Wicker Man, good, another good choice. Um, my personal choice, I think, would be Planet of the Apes. <laughs> You so damn dirty ape. <laughs> No, yeah, he did it. Classic, absolutely classic moment in world cinema. Um, so one of the things I thought I thought we might discuss once after I'd done the preamble, just to prepare you mentally and indeed physically, mm-hmm. was to discuss what we think the characteristics of a seventies movie. Okay, so prepare yourself. Uh, okay. Are you preparing yourself? Yep, I tried to jot some notes down and have a little think and a bit of a research, but it's a slightly hard question. Yes, I think it's a slightly hard question too. But anyway, we're here to answer the hard questions. We're not here for easy conversation and a nice time, are we? No, this is... Um, no. Serious, hard-hitting stuff. Journalism at its yeah. best. Yes. So, The Duelists is a 1977 film, first feature film by Skidley Rot. It is set during 16 years of the Napoleonic Wars, from 1800 to 1816. It's based actually on a short story by Joseph Conrad, and it tells of a feud waged by two men over that time, resulting in a number of duels. It was received pretty well at the time, um, and indeed still, so the Rotten Tomatoes critics... Uh, have it at 92%. The audience have it at 83%. I always think the difference between those two is quite interesting. And I think there's a reason why the audience are less keen. The main actors are Keith Carradine as Armand Dubert and Harvey Keitel as Gabriel Ferro. They are two officers in the Napoleonic army. So one day Dubert is sent to arrest Gabriel. And Gabriel conceives this as an offence to him personally, even though it, you know, obviously isn't. Uh, and he relentlessly pursues Armand afterwards as an affair d'honneur across the years and locations where they come together uh, and then split apart until the affair reaches its resolution in a final duel around a ruined fort. Along the way, Quite a few classic actors pop up in their youth or indeed their pomp. So Albert Finney uh, plays the great survivor uh, Fouché, for example. There's Alan Armstrong in there, who I don't know if you know who Alan Armstrong is. You probably do. Mm-hmm. There's Tom Conte being very, very Tom Conte. Tom Conte from Paddington 2? Is there any film in which Tom Conte is not acting Tom Conte? I mean, that is the question. I'm going to say no. I'm going to say no to. There's Pete Postlethwaite, uh, Wait, very young is, Pete Postlethwaite. Was he in this? 
Yes, Pete Postlethwaite is in this. I'm pretty sure. I'll check my facts, but I'm pretty sure. Um, and Edward Fox, who oh, also yes. is being mm, Edward Fox. Yeah, wasn't so sure about his old makeup. No, it, exactly. it was quite yes, weird indeed. to see him to see him when he's young, but playing someone who's kind of his age now. If that makes yes. sense. Um, Has he ever been young, Edward Fox? Yeah. Have you ever seen The Day of the Jackal? I have. I mean, that's a fantastic movie. That is one of the great he's, movies. Was that made in the seventies? Yes. He's, in, oh, he's incredibly movie. dashing in that movie. He is quite dashing, but he also, but he, nonetheless, he has a chin, which is an offensive weapon. Mm. Um, and you can't get around that fact, can you? Uh, again, I'm going to say no. Well, that's it then. So that is that is set up. That is the movie. Um, and the film as a film had for me, Wolf, everything I demand from a 70s film, which brings us to that question. What are the characteristics, Wolf? I put it to mm. you. What are the characteristics of a 1970s film? Um, I think that there is a grainy quality to the film image, and there's a sudden use of light, and I think you can feel the texture of the, of the, of the image. It looks like a 70s movie, doesn't it? Yes, it has a certain patina. I would agree with that take. Um, Anything else? I don't know. I find it so hard to pin down. Like, if if I see something, I can immediately tell you, oh, that's a 70s movie. But to to quantify it is hard. I'm going to add one other suggestion, Mm -hmm. which, which comes actually from the Planet of the Apes. So when I watch Planet of the Apes again, after many years, there's a lot of time watching them walk over a planet surface. surface. It's not an interesting walk. It's not an interesting planet surface. Uh, and he spent five minutes watching them walking. So my observation would be that the 70s movies take a much more time than modern movies do, you know, where basically is action all the time, I would contend. Yeah, so maybe they start to experiment a little bit more and they start to absorb themselves in the kind of feel of the location and the and the story rather than just kind of hitting plot points and moving you through it quick. I do think they start to get a bit longer. Yeah, the look of it seems to be as important as the uh, story. And my last contention, which is even more threadbare, I have to say, is the uh, the use of narration. Is it my imagination or is there a lot more narration in 70s movies than... I mean, obviously, I've done no scientific survey in this. Yeah, I'm I'm going to say that I have no idea about that. No. Only well, then as the answer of life, Wolf, I will make a confident assertion. Oh yes, there's much more narration in seventies movies, and then everybody will just go along with it because that's the way the world works. Well, let's do that. Uh, great. So seventies movies, and I, but I must admit, I really loved it, and I loved exactly that. I loved the patina of the movie. Um, of oh, the arrival for. I think it was the maybe the maybe that second duel or the one on horseback. It was a lots of early morning sunlight, like you could tell it was a dewy field, and there was a slight haze in the um, in the air, and the sun was breaking through that haze. Lush, absolutely fantastic. I mean, that is the big triumph of the movie for me. The film as a film is oh the the way he evokes the world 
is just, I mean, fantastic. And if it's, um, even if you hated everything else about the movie, it would be worth it just to wander around, you know, early 19th century France. It's just wonderful. Starts with a goose girl who sees a um, sees a duel with Ferrand killing some. Well, he doesn't kill him, actually, but he almost does. And, uh, you know, there's the girl with the countryside around her with the geese in front of her. I mean, it is just, the, the old buildings, it is just perfection. And that runs all the way through the movie. It is just beautiful. And he's good at that, Ridley Scott, isn't he? You know, I know whatever we ranted about him over Kingdom of Heaven and all the things wrong with it. Oh, it's a sight to see, isn't it? Robin Hood, a film which turns completely bonkers in the second half. The visual is just fantastic. I mean, you know, the lad ain't bad at it, is all I'm saying. No, I mean, I'll agree. Good. So I thought, I thought personally, I thought that was the runaway triumph. Um, and the uniforms are amazing, too. I mean, I have a question, though. Mm-hmm. If you were going to fight in a battle, would you pick one of those uniforms? See, I'm going to be honest. Uniforms don't stand out to me when I watch movies. So Mm. since watching the movie, I can't remember what each of their uniforms was. I can remember, though, Kaitel's huge hat in the snow. Yes. Now, that hat was cool. Um, I remember their hair a little bit more. Uh, The hair I'm going to come to. I mean, his Hazar uniform was just mad. As you say, you have this enormous great big hat on. He had all these buckles and buckles and bows all over him. He had tangly bits hanging off. I mean, it'd be bloody liability in a battle. You have all yes. this stuff getting in the way. I mean, he looked like a, I don't know, a, a wedding cake. Yeah, quite frilly Probably. and um, a lot of pomposity to everything in the film. Indeed. Indeed. I love the uniforms, but, you know, if we ever get into a fight, you and me, Wolf, I won't be wearing one, okay? I'll be in battle fatigues. No no uniform at all. Kit. Sorry? No, so you're just going to go in butt naked? Uh, I'm not sure about butt naked, although that probably would scare you in itself, so the fight would probably be over. But, um, yes, once you saw, saw sight of my rippling muscles. <laughs> Should we move on? Yes. Or indeed my naked butt. But anyway, let's keep moving. Let's keep moving. Okay, so those are great. The buildings, the uniforms, the rural scenes, the weft and warp of it. Feel it between your fingers. It's it's very good. The violence, as violence goes, well, give me a score for the violence out of 10, with 10 being very good. And, of course, that means extremely graphic violence, effectively graphic, or one being, you know, a bit not but you know not great i think the film was shot and edited in a way that conveyed more violence than you actually see so it feels quite violent um and aggressive but it's that kind of like what's almost like a handheld camera and it's hmm. it's up close and it's moving around a lot and then they're cutting quite sharply or like when they get the 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 joust on the horses where they keep cutting to the flashbacks and then you're so close to the action that you can't really see what's happening. And then you get like the sound and the reveal. Um, so I don't know. I would say, yes, it is quite violent, but I think it's uh, 
there's a lot of tricks of the trade rather than seeing lots. Yeah, I thought that worked really, really well because, yes, as you say, it wasn't just um, gore fest stuff. Um, but you did feel the violence and the you did feel as though there were two blokes out there sort of fighting with swords or whatever it might be. Um, I thought it was realistic and effective. I thought that worked really well. Yeah, the the threat of um, was it f- Furno? Um, you, you felt that from the beginning, his intensity and the aggression in the fighting. It wasn't um, none of the fights felt how, how you often imagine them, where everyone like you know, as if you're watching fencing. It, it wasn't like prepared and courteous. Okay, now let's go. It was kind of like street yes. fighting. Feral, yes. I agree. And actually, that's one of the things about the movies, which we should talk, come on to, which is, uh, you know, Ferro is very intense, as you absolutely, as you say, extremely aggressive and toweringly stupid. Yes. Um, and that's worrying, isn't it? You know, because, you know, people like us, Wolf, well, many people like me, you know, are reasonable kind of people that can, that can talk things through. Um, you know, so when you threaten me with violence, as you know, obviously you frequently do, uh, you know, I feel I can talk you around. I can talk you down. Uh, Farrell, you don't get that feeling. No. But just to move on to less positive things, that has its cost, I believe. So it would be a better film, I think, if there was some sense of sympathy with Ferrell in some way. Did you feel any sympathy with Ferrell? Um, no, but I do think, I do think there are some interesting moments where you can almost, I don't know. It feels like it's quite close to being really good. It's an interesting scene where they're in Russia and he's trying to inspire the troops to action. And, you know, I think in real life he had, a, at times, a pretty decent war record. Um, and then when he can put the fight aside for that battle. And then there's some interesting moments later on. And the ending is quite sad. I, I feel like there's a melancholy somber to his to his like final moments. My point is, while yes. I don't feel sympathy for him, he's not 100% this like caricature. He does have some complexity. I just think it it's not drawn out as well as I'd like it to be. So actually, I should have started off by asking you whether you enjoyed the movie. I did for what it is. I enjoyed going back and watching the first Ridley Scott movie. I enjoyed the, as you say, the seventies um, qualities to it. I enjoyed seeing Harvey Keitel and this cast of like um, all these actors you recognize just popping up for like these brief appearances and the fighting was pretty enjoyable. So I had one possible issue, but I wanted to ask you a question first. Did the structure of the film work for you, or did you get bored moving through the series of duels? The problem for me with the film was about engagement, and the structure, I don't think, helped engagement, because you kept on breaking up the narrative. So I'm, I was kind of aware that the, there were these these mistresses or these girlfriends or whatever, but they never meant anything to me. They never emerged from out of the gloom with a character and a personality. Mm. Um, And therefore I didn't really care about them. 
And because those relationships were never developed, it was quite hard to care about the main protagonists too. So the structure worked in a way of sort of time hopping. You know, it was quite interesting, the fact that Ridley Scott, I think unlike the book, had matched it to Bonaparte's career, for example. Mm -hmm. And I thought that worked quite nicely from a historical point of view of you know historical interest point of view but in terms of narrative i don't think it really helped what did you think yeah i, I would agree um i was going to ask what you think it achieved by matching it to napoleon's career um but i might ask that later for me i just felt that everything just kept jumping around and especially early on um that it was almost comical. The jewels just come out of nowhere. I get, I'm like, yeah. oh, it goes, okay, it'll give me a time stamp. And I'm like, okay, I'm here now. And then, uh oh, uh, there he is across the bar. Oh, no, we're in another jewel. And it w- the jewels didn't kind of mean anything to me. Their, no. their battle didn't, and their confrontation didn't mean anything to me. And I didn't really care about either of the two main characters. So I didn't really have, a, I didn't have um, a stake in the, in the, contest i didn't really care who won and who didn't and i think that reduced the amount of tension in the whole movie so you know in a sense farrell's angry aggression and relentless aggression should have built tension because hubert is always looking over his shoulder and at one stage you know he gets very nervous in a just before a duel you can see it's wearing on him but somehow the tension seeped away because you didn't have this very strong sense of engagement with the characters. You didn't really care very deeply what happened. Yeah, I think that um, knowing that there are so many duels in the movie and that the whole movie is based around dueling, it means that at least early on in the movie, I don't have any nerves during the duels because, oh, there's going to be a whole bunch more. Yeah, I think well, that's that's certainly true. Yeah. I think the tension does begin to creep in, but only in the final twenty minutes. And interestingly, I think it creeps in because at last we begin to get some engagement or development of the characters. We begin to see him in a domestic setting, with him talking with his sister, um, and you begin to think of Dubert as a human being, sort of yeah. thing. Yeah, and I th- so I think that they are absolutely linked together. Finally, at the end, uh, you begin to feel some sense of engagement. There is, of course, another major problem with the movie, mm-hmm. Wolf, which obviously we've been skirting around so far. Uh, but I think we're going to have to mention it. Okay. Are we happy to mention it? Yeah, go ahead. It is, of course, as you know, the haircuts. Okay. I thought, yeah, you know what I'm talking about. See, I I was going to guess completely wrong. I thought you were going to say yeah. Keith Carradine. Well, I think Keith Carradine is a problem with the movie. Mm. Okay, he's very wooden, isn't he? Yeah. He's very, very unengaging, and he's just not good enough. Frankly, you know, I just don't care enough about him. He never makes me think he's a real per- human being. You know. No, he he just. But also, what doesn't help him? Okay, is his haircut. <laughs> yeah, I mean, his haircut is straight out of, you know, California in the nineteen seventies. You know, long 
floppy hair. Um, does he have? Looks like he's just about to get a reefer. <laughs> okay. Does he? Does he have two braids that come down the side of his head? No, that's Perrault. Oh, see, I thought he Harvey Keitel looks like Obelix in the uh, yes. uh, Gerard Depardieu in the Asterix and Obelix. Movies. Yes, I mean he's appalling, but at least his haircut is kind of original. And you thought, mm, well, maybe they did have haircuts back then. Whereas Keith Carradine used to think they're not trying. He's just, you know, come out from a, um, a drug-induced haze from some back street of Los Angeles and walked onto the set, you know? Okay, so do you think that um, he would be a big fan of The Dead, The Grateful Dead? So- um, yes, I think he probably did listen to The Dead. Okay, so so just to cl- clarify, you hated the haircuts, but you loved the uniforms. I, I, mean, I didn't hate the haircuts as haircuts. I mean... Hey, who who am I to judge people on haircuts? Crying out loud, you know the man with a you know with a bog brush on his head. But I didn't think they helped the movie. It was disconcerting. Yes, that Perrault looked like Gerard Depardieu in Obelix. It wasn't his fault because, of course, Obelix came later. What the film? Was there any historical accuracy in the haircuts? Do you know? I don't know, but I suspect that there was with Perrault. Because his haircut is too outlandish, really, for somebody to have made it up, I'd have thought. But I am guessing. I can't believe anybody looked like Keith Carradine. Interesting. Uh, and then in some... Interesting. So you've already said that Carradine was wooden. Did you enjoy Kai Tell's performance? Um, well, again, the fact... If he was told by the director to be utterly relentless, boorish dislikable and just a force of aggression then yes he did pretty well if he was supposed in any way for us to feel sympathy or understand his motivations um and lead us into some understanding of society of the time then no it sucked okay i think it's probably the former i do i think you're probably right i do think that that's his character and Mm. His performance does remind me of other performances he gives. He just kind of is that right. person. Um, if I think about Bad Lieutenant or I think about Taxi Driver. Um, so he didn't surprise me too much. And I, right. I think he did kind of work um, as this outlandish character that, whose motivations you just can't figure out. I agree. I mean, I think uh, he did play a role in the movie, a recognizable role of you know the relentless pursuer uh he was certainly convincing uh in that side of it yeah he he was completely convincing when you're sat in a bar and you hear his voice i know we said that tension didn't exist throughout the movie but it, it worked enough that when i heard his voice or saw his face i knew that chaos was coming yes true apparently so i hear uh, michael york and oliver reed were considered to play mm. Dubert and Ferrault. I assume Oliver uh, Reed would have been Ferrault. Uh, presumably, yes. And Michael York would have been in the lovely Dubert. That, that would be fun. That would have been a triumph. That, that would have been very fun. I mean, are there any actors more 70s than Michael York? Um, no. None. There are none. He is... The seventies in every way. His really foppish hair. Uh, you know, it'd have been lovely. Sorry. His foppish hair. Foppish hair. 
his his looks, his accent. I mean, he just, you know, he is the 70s. It might, I think it might have helped as well, to be honest, if they were both British. Um, I did sometimes... If they were or they weren't? If they were. I, I kind of mm. found the fact that they were American, um, and especially with Faroe being so brash, um, in this setting, it didn't quite mesh for me. And I was slightly surprised considering, you know, Ridley Scott is British. Yeah, and there are so many British actors. Um, I didn't know that I think that. what I, th- I just thought that Carradine was rubbish. Okay. And Carradine was, you know, so West Coast rather than Napoleonic. But that was what ruined it for me. I thought Kaitel was, you know, pretty good at what he did, but his character was very limited. Um, yeah, I mean, I just thought it was... Carradine was the, the misstep. So, David, I have a question for you. Um, Go on, then. What would be your weapon of choice in a duel? Ah, in the dueling. Yes, interesting. I think I thought about this very hard and thought about, you know, accuracy and the time and what your options were. And I came down on AK-47. Okay. <laughs> so, or possibly small tactical nuclear device. See, my answer was a bazooka duel. Bazooka duel, <laughs> only because I've never seen one, and I kind of love the absurdity of you see your enemy and then you quickly have to get down, and start loading the bazooka. <laughs> I think it'd be very funny. So we're both going for social realism. Then, yes. In our choice. Although, if it's the context of the film, the only one I—if it was one of the one of the things weapons in the film, which then would you choose? The flintlock pistols. Thing up into pistols, yes, easy choice, I guess, isn't it? I certainly wouldn't do anything to do with a foot with a horse. No, with the exposed, with the exception that, of course, it might help me run away better. But then, if I was on a horse against anybody else on a horse, they would inevitably be a better horse rider than I was. So yes. I'd still be doomed. Now, I, yeah, I just think what I liked about the pistols was that it wasn't so much about who was the best shot. It was about playing a game of hide and seek, outsmarting your opponent. Yes, it was. It was a different angle. It was quite fun. I agree. Okay, so I think anything else to say on the film as a film? Well, I wanted to ask you, um, and maybe you won't have an answer. I don't know. What did you think the film was really about? Ah, um, I thought it was about the absurdity of honor uh, and the Napoleonic code of honour, and indeed social code of honour, which we can talk a bit more about in the historical bit. Do you think the code of honour in this movie is specific to something about the Napoleonic era and their views? No, not necessarily. I think it's something of that time, you know. Um, So honour duels had been going on for ages, of course, and they were just on the way out, in fact. So it's not specific to this area, although it has its own flavour. Can it be about that? What do you think? Yeah, I mean, I think I think that probably is what it's about. The absurdity of everything that they do and all of the values they have. And, I mean, every single character in this movie is absurd. Albert Finney, when he's like, oh, if I wasn't the one picking who would get executed, I'd be on the chopping block first. But I got this choice, yes. so I'm going to kill all these people. Um, that is actually, to be honest, that is pretty much Fouché for you. You know, he was, I think he was the secret, head of secret police for both 
the revolutionary side and the royalist side. Mm. He was the great survivor. I had to say Albert Finney was terribly miscast as Fouché. You know, I don't I don't think of Fouché as this sort of big uh, posh character. I, I've always thought of him as a small, weaselly, very cunning, manipulative bloke. But I could be wrong, of course. No, that makes sense. I've never seen a picture of Fouché. Um, the only, but I, I just thought he missed. You know, you've got Albert Finney, and you use him for yeah two minutes of Fouché. Bit of a waste. I did wait the whole movie for him to appear, and then he was gone, and I was like, oh, okay. You slightly, yeah. you slightly missold me on the opening like yes. credits. Um, yes, indeed. The on, yeah, the only thing I would add in in addition to the absurdity of the dueling system and the honor system is that I think it's also questioning to an extent the absurdities of masculinity yes because so much of this battle is about how they try to um assert their um like masculine authority upon the others yeah it's all tied up with the whole honor thing isn't it um i don't think you had women challenging each other to duels um did you ever think as well that that Keitel possibly represented a different class to... Um... There is something in that, actually. I mean, interesting enough, what what a point that gets made is that you can't duel with somebody not of the same military rank. Mm. Um, and I did wonder whether there was an implication that Perrault was of a lower social rank to Dubert. Yeah. There were times when it felt like he was particularly aggrieved with Dubert because Dubert was like a more successful, respected yeah. officer. It kind of makes sense because there's got to be some explanation as to why, why he behaves with such unreasoning unre- aggression. And maybe that is the explanation. Okay. So I wanted to ask, do you think that Perrault represents Napoleon Bonaparte? The only reason I ask is because he arrives on the scene in 1800 and they've changed the dates to reflect Napoleon's career. And then he is the character who kind of loses and fails um, at the end. Mm, Interesting. It was also his hat. His hat just just gave me... Well, it is true. I mean, now you mention it, at the end, he's wandering around in his greatcoat and his hat. Which was quite Napoleonic. I think you might be onto something that there is a sort of symbolism here and about Bonaparte's career and Perrault's career because, of course, he starts off Perrault winning, and you think Hubert is for it. And yeah, and um, Dubert clearly rep- or turns later to really represent um, the side of the revolution, right? I mean, again, talking about the history, one of the interesting things is what those characters represent. And you're quite right in the sense that, at least, that Perrault represents the Bonapartist, you know, La La Gloire, absolute loyalty to this, you know, great leader. Whereas Dubert is much more your, the, the kind of guy who goes along with it and then at the end tries to duck and just, you know, doesn't turn up for the 100 days and just tries to keep his head down and blow with the wind. Um, so I think there are different forces there represented in Napoleonic France through the two characters. I think that's certainly 
uh, a theme of the movie. And I suppose, you know, I was identifying with Dubert at the end. You know, that this is a this is a mindless fight, which is there's no way of winning, and I'm not going to be involved in it. And whereas Edward Fox and Perrault were all, you know, you're a traitor to the cause because you know he's our he's our god, as it were. In terms of the historical accuracy of the movie, which I suppose is another one of those situations where you have to match it against the book and the the history, the historical events, and it's clear he takes some liberties with the dates. So, for example, I think the he puts the hundred days. I think in eighteen thirteen or something. Um, so he messes around with the dates to make more of a narrative. It is based on a real story. Joseph Conrad's book was based on a real story of two officers, Pierre Dupont de l'Etang and François Fournier Sarlovez, who fought their first duel in 1794 and had 30 rematches over the next 90 years. 90, sorry, 19 my years. My God. So, I mean, my God. And my God, that's worse. That's worse than playing Monopoly every Christmas, isn't it? I mean, you know, that's just not good. That's obsessive. Uh, this true story mm. shocked me. I I really assumed that the historical accuracy was going to be incredibly low, and it was just loosely inspired by the fact that some people had jewels. So I, yeah, I was flawed. I was completely wrong. Yes, I mean, what complete nutters! You know, there's. Obviously, one of the things in the History of England podcast we talk about a lot is understanding context. And it's quite difficult to understand how strongly people felt about religion, just for example, you know. But, you know, if you try, you can work it out. As far as this thing is concerned, I'm not even going to try. They're just barking mad. And I'm sorry, I know that's very wrong of me. I'd like to formally apologise. And I will beat myself, Wolf with birch twigs in the morning dew. Uh, I look, but look forward to this. Plonkers. Well, did you see that Fournier even had an argument with Napoleon himself? Is that right? Apparently. Honestly, just reading his career, it almost... If anything, reading the true story, the movie is just not as crazy as it could have been. It's almost, like, Gosh. diluted. He toned it down a bit. Well, yeah, Fournier joined up with Robespierre, um... I think he was involved in killing loads of people, and then right. and he, in his like military career, he'd constantly like get arrested. Did you read the story where he was arrested, and then while they were going to prison, the carriage was attacked by Cossacks, and he got out of the carriage, took this guy's sword, killed everybody, and then got back in and was like, "Quick, take me where I'm going." <laughs> he just he seemed like someone who would regularly lose a battle disastrously be reprimanded because also he randomly stabbed or attacked someone at while he was at work. And then he would get promoted again sometime in the future and then win some glorious battle. And he continually kept going just up and down the ranks, earning all these accolades and then being reprimanded and locked up. It, it, so a thoroughgoing madman, he should maybe be in Blackadder or something like that. Yeah, I... He was giving me like I was I almost wanted him to be flash art. Like I just wanted that yeah. that level of over the top uh, acting. 
yes, indeed. And indeed, um, I did a little bit of reading about duelling. And it sounds as though they're not beating that up too much, actually. So apparently horseback duels were very common in in Ireland, um, where they they rided each other with uh, sabres or pistol aiming at the face sort of thing. There's a record of a duel after the rest, Restoration uh, in which a colonel and junior, junior officer carried it out in this carriage. Um, and when the door was opened, after two circuits of the Place du Carousel, there was a sea of blood poured out when they got out. And the worst story was a duel au mouchoir, where your two men stood close enough to each hold the corner of the same hanky in their left hand and then fought it out. I mean, can you imagine? I mean, that's not the stuff of, you know, stylized honour duels for seconds, is it? That is a cat fight. Also, what is the benefit of winning and, like, surviving? Also, it's quite odd, isn't it, this thing about, you know, when do you stop? I mean, if you and I were to fight a duel to death, Wolf, okay, um, and I cut your face, as Dubert does in one of the duels with... Perrault, um, I would then come along and stab you so that you would never get up again, okay? I mean, you know, I mean, I, I, I'd apologise for that. Yep. Um, yeah. And I know it's a bit mean, but, you know, once you've kicked a man, you kick him so he doesn't get back up again, surely. Otherwise, you're just making trouble for yourself. Uh, I Maybe I was wrong. I was under the impression that what would usually happen is that they didn't have to be fights to the death. And as soon as one person had clearly won, drawn blood, struck the other, you could then be like, right, we've sorted this. Um, You know your place. And the other person has to accept they lost. And if that was the case, then it's over. But we have these characters who just refuse to accept when they've lost. I think my point is that the rules aren't very clear. And if you're fighting for your life... You'd quite like the rules to be nice and clear. Yes. In fact, there's a very good um, Fry and Laurie um, sketch about duelling, which I must dig out for you. It's very funny indeed, because um, one of them, in one, one the start of it, for example, uh, Hugh Laurie's character thought they were fighting with handkerchiefs and was very put out to find out that they would be fighting with pistols. Yes. Which... <laughs> which I thought, you know, I would also be concerned. But anyway, I think the conclusion is, as far as the film is concerned, they're not bigging it up in terms of the ferocity of duelling. Yeah, no, it seemed seemed pretty accurate. You know, outside of that, I would think we've talked about the the political situation and the kind of the different groups that would have been involved at the time of the re- by the time the restoration came about, and of course the restoration wouldn't last very long. Um, some famous historian said the French had, you know, taken Benzedrine, and so throughout the 19th century, constantly getting revolutions and changes of government um, because they're just high on um, on revolution. I thought that was quite a nice aspect of the movie. I thought all the uniforms and the arms and all that sort of stuff and the dueling all struck me as pretty historical. Um, the 
the actual story itself was obviously tweaked around in terms of dates to a degree, but was basically, you know, on point. So I thought, you don't get it. There's not a lot of history in this in a way. There's much more a, a film with the environment. But such as it does, um, you know, it does a reasonable job, I think. Yeah. I don't think you learn an awful lot. No. You, you learn a little bit. So, I shall we... Is there anything else to say about the movie, or shall we score it? No, uh, score it. Let's score it then. So, what would you score its quality as a movie? I think five slash six. Okay, I went five, I must admit. Okay, I'll go with you then. Okay. And historical accuracy? From doing research, I was led to believe it's actually fairly accurate. Um, yeah. So maybe an eight? Mm-hmm. Okay, well, I went for seven, but I'm happy to be talked up to an eight. Um, and then finally, would you recommend anyone go and see this film? And if so, why? I would, but probably only if you're interested in this period of history or if you're interested in Ridley Scott's movies. I think you can get something from it, but I was viewing it more, I guess academically than for enjoyment yeah i would i would recommend you go and see this movie if you really want to evoke an atmosphere of the time and to be honest the movie jogs along well enough you know it it wasn't compelling uh in the way that i'd like movies to be but nor did it really drag a lot um and i kept on thinking this is just beautiful. You know, it just looks fantastic. So if what you like about movies is the evocation of a time and a place, then absolutely I would go and see this movie. Um, it did make me think that we really do need to watch Rob Roy at some point, especially as you've never seen it. Yes, true. Never seen it either, yeah. Well, I think I might have seen it in Sixth Film, film, uh, six form film Club. But to be honest, the last thing you were watching in Sixth Form Film Club was the film. Because we used to have it with the sixth form girls' school down the road. Say no more. Say no more. Right. Okay. Well, that's very good. Thank you very much for listening, everybody. Thank you for your comments, Wolf. And we will be back next time with a film called... Marie Antoinette. Marie Antoinette. Perfect. Excellent. Cheers. Are you not entertained? As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed, when I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform, with over 350 million global monthly visitors according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, 
according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. 